No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody aboard as we get started on Talking Bass in PDX. Thank you for joining me on Talking Bass in PDX, the bass and warm water fishing forum as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. On this episode of Talking Bass in PDX, we're going to take a special direction. I have Bill Ramsauer, the president of Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, and I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But before we talk to him, let me talk to you about Talking Bass in PDX, the podcast. The podcast is all about fishing in the Northwest, and if you enjoy listening, help us grow by telling your friends. The podcast can be heard on Spotify, Anchor, and iTunes. We've now joined the Google Podcast group also, so we can be found on many different platforms. On this podcast, I have Bill Ramsauer. Bill's not only a good bass angler, but he's an all-around good fisherman. The weather is starting to warm and the days are getting a little longer. That means that fishing is warming up here in the northwest, and coming very soon we'll be out on the water. Yeah, the world has changed a bit this last year, and people are staying a little closer to home. But since starting the podcast, I I thought that I would be talking fishing on every episode. But in the past weeks I've been thinking about it, And there are many folks out there that, well, maybe they'll be staying around the local area. Maybe they'll be looking for things to do. If you want to learn more about fishing, maybe even tournament fishing, over the next few weeks I'll be working with some clubs in order to show how to join these clubs, maybe reach out to them and get some information. On this episode, I have the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club president, Bill Ramsauer. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Don. My pleasure. Well, Bill, as you heard in my opening there, we're talking about fishing, but we're also talking about club information. So before we get to the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, let me talk to you a little bit about fishing. Tell me a little bit about when you started fishing. Well, um, my dad got us started pretty young, um, probably probably just trout fishing uh, up at East and Polina Lakes. Uh, we, you know, he's, my dad was a very successful fisherman and, uh, and he had fished all his life. So that's what we started with. Uh, we had a, a great uncle that lived down Newport. And so he would take us out. Uh, he had a charter boat, but he would take us out in the bay. We would go out and fish, um, in Yaquina Bay, uh, throw some crab, crab rings off, uh, to come back later and check. And, uh, We'd catch perch and flounder and, you know, having a local person take us out, he always knew, you know, where to go, what was biting, um, what was available, and uh, uh, some great memories there. Then my dad would take us up the Molala River back when that was, that was all gated once you got, got up, up the river a ways. And there's, uh, oh, probably dozens of, small creeks that feed the Molala River. And we would go up there and just spend the day, not even see anybody else, and uh, trout fish and maybe do some plinking with our 22s and, you know, had a great time. 
Then as we got a little older, Dad started taking us out uh, salmon fishing in the spring after school. And uh, I, I really wasn't thrilled, but uh, uh, the salmon were abundant. It was no big deal to catch salmon. Uh, and I would sit in the boat with my fingers crossed, hoping we wouldn't catch anything, because I had to carry those fish up the steps up to our car. And then when we got home, it'd be dark, and uh, we'd have to help Dad clean the fish and uh, clean up the mess, bury the, the fish heads in the garden spot, all that stuff. With the, My brother would hold the flashlight, and I'd dig the hole. But uh, looking back, uh, you know, we, we were very fortunate to have uh, enjoyed that success. We also did a lot of, uh, of sturgeon fishing, and this was back when... There wasn't a lot of people who did that. We, we only knew a couple of other people that we'd see out on the water that, uh, that did uh, fish for sturgeon back then. And this would be in the, uh, probably the late 60s. Uh, we would we'd fish right there between the, the locks and the, the arch bridge on the Willamette. And you, it was open the year round. You could keep three a day between 36 and 72 inches. We didn't keep many. We hooked a lot of them that we never got to see. Anyone who's done any sturgeon fishing knows what I'm talking about. We didn't have the best gear. We were using salmon gear, so you know we could uh, we'd break the line off and retie and keep fishing. Uh, always always could scrounge something up to use for bait. That uh, that was uh, that was a great experience. My dad worked at the mill there, and he kept an eye on us. You know, we, we were young. We'd ride our bikes down, and, and we knew how to start the boat. And um, I don't even remember if we had life jackets back then. Just, uh, you know, you, you were kind of on your own. We, we'd take the boat up into the falls. Back then there was no boating deadline, just a fishing deadline. And we'd be up there. We'd, we'd tie off the boat and get out on the rocks and play along the uh, – the, the slick rocks and concrete abutments. And, and this was usually in the summertime, so there wasn't a lot of flow. But, you know, two young boys, no life jackets, playing in the falls. <laughs> you wouldn't see that nowadays. That, that's uh, some of the history back then. I got a little older, uh, uh, doing more fishing on my own. Uh, started to explore a little bit more. You know, the one thing that I that I'm enjoying about the conversation is that, you know, you're building such great memories there. You know, as a young person fishing, and um, you were able to carry that up. Now, tell me about when you got a little older. You know, you're getting into your teenage years, maybe young young working years. About the type of fishing that you were doing then. Later on, my folks uh, they retired and. Uh, bought a place down at the uh, on the Nahalem River, and it was a nice little spot. They had their own boat dock, and um, we'd drive down to see them when I was old enough to drive and and spend some time down there. Still wasn't very thrilled, uh, kind of tired of salmon fishing, and looking for some something else to do. You know, made some new friends and uh, that that fished for other species. Got a little interested in it. Wasn't very successful. But um, still, uh, and, and you know, some car camping where we'd find ourselves at a lake and, you know, uh, able to 
catch some trout. That that was about it. Um, and then I I really kind of strayed away from fishing for a few years. Just got you know uh, got busy doing other stuff. Well, I understand. You know, when uh, when folks are working, they've got their career going. Um, you know, sometimes recreational time is just not you know it's just not available to you. You know, and that that can be tough. But as you talked about salmon fishing, you know, and that in the '60s and '70s, '80s, you know, that was the thing to do here in the Northwest. But now, as you transitioned to more bass fishing, warm water fishing. Start to tell me about that time because that's quite the transition from one type of fishing to another. Well, when I was uh, got out of school and uh, got a job, I found uh, myself working on the road quite a bit. And I would drive in a service van with ladders on top and all my gear inside. Um, so I, I bought a canoe and I put it on top of, the, of my van and lashed it down along with the ladders and uh, we, you know, we'd be staying uh, usually in a motel somewhere, uh, and I'd meet the local guys uh, usually on the job site, people that were hired to work alongside us. And uh, first thing we'd start talking about is, uh, is there any place to go fishing around here? So, and the, they'd usually uh, there's usually ponds and lakes nearby that maybe we weren't familiar with. Uh, other than seeing them on a map. And so we got to where we'd do that almost every night. We'd go find a, um, sometimes it was just a, a log pond um, that didn't even have a name. And we'd pull up and launch the canoe and, and fish for whatever was in there. And that's when I started catching uh, like bluegills and largemouth bass and, uh, and, and, you know, learned a little bit more about it. Uh, the uh, the in fisherman uh, television series and magazine had come out, and I was interested in that in what those guys were talking about. And we had some of those species here, so uh, that's uh, just where where my uh, my fishing led led to uh, my interest led to was uh, just. You know, I didn't even know what these fish were. I'd hold them up, and my buddy who was uh, who worked with me, he's like, "Well, that's a crappie. Well, now that's that's a bluegill." I'm like, "Well, how do you tell the difference?" And he goes, "Well, look at them. You know, it, it seems silly now to not be able to tell the difference, but um, and, and we did a lot of perch fishing. We would work down at the coast and all those coastal lakes down there and sloughs and." Um, they, they almost all of them have yellow perch, and uh, caught a lot of those. So um, a few bass, but the the bass usually, you know, we would just fish with a jig and a nightcrawler and and a bobber, and uh, you you caught whatever was in there. So occasionally we catch a bass, but we weren't really targeting any particular species. We were just fishing. And uh, usually we we had no way to keep our fish and prepare them. So, uh, you know, we just put everything back. But that's uh, kind of where I got started with my warm water fishing. And uh, then it, it uh, just progressed from there. So who would you say has been your biggest influence on you? Because I know that, uh, you know, you're, 
you're kind of holding back on us a little bit here. I know that you're a really good bass fisherman. As a matter of fact, I know that you fished in some tournaments here the past few years. Now, not maybe as the boat captain, but certainly uh, uh, on the boat. And I, and I think you've even helped win a few. So tell me a little bit more about uh, about your bass fishing. Well, I have, uh, my longtime friend, Bob Judkins, um, he's the kind of guy that he, he doesn't do anything halfway. When he becomes interested in doing something, he dives in, and he devotes uh, all of his energy in that one direction. Uh, used to be drag racing, and then we were riding motorcycles, and then we started fishing. And uh, he, he belongs to a tournament club, and also to the uh, Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. Him and I fished a lot over the years, and we used to go up to the Lower John Day and just take whatever boat we had, and we'd we'd fish all day with, uh, like, maybe just some jigs and not catch anything. It's hard to believe you could go up there and, and, you know, on on good, under good conditions, and not catch anything, but we were, we were learning and, uh, he's come a long way and, uh, I've learned a lot from him. Uh, we, we joke around now about the, the, the lures that we used to use. Um, it was all we used and, you know, we have our favorites now. Uh, I have an example of that. Uh, him and I went to 10 mile lakes and we took that canoe and, uh, we, we camped, we just car camped. I had a little Toyota sedan, and uh, we made a rack so we could bolt that canoe down on, on the roof, and it looked pretty crazy. The canoe was longer than the car. But we, we put everything we needed in that canoe for the day, and off we'd go. Um, and we, uh, he was telling me we, we needed to use a crankbait, a floating crankbait. And so we, we each bought a... Uh, the, the little Rapala perch that um, I think this is a minnow and uh, you, you, it dives about a foot um, and you can't cast it very far because they don't weigh anything. And I had no faith in this crankbait. I never caught a fish on anything like that. You know, it's a goofy looking lure. And my first cast, I caught uh, two small largemouth bass at once. And I was sold. I'm like, this does really work. So uh, we we also on that trip. It was a week long trip. We fished Tocknitch and uh, Tocknitch Lake and Silcoots Lake, and uh, all out of that canoe. Um, those were good times. And every day we went, we we learned a little bit more. But we had uh, just like I say, just a few lures and um, some jigs and and night crawlers, uh, and, and we, you know, almost every time we went out, we did a little bit better because we're just kind of figuring out where to go and how, how the fish hold on structure, and uh, that this, we just kind of evolved through, uh, through this whole thing, then got, got rid of the canoe and got a, a more substantial boat and started fishing uh, Bigger Waters, uh, Multnomah Channel was a favorite, uh, and got interested in the smallmouth bass and walleye fishing. So, and it's just all progressed from there. 
Now, bouncing forward just a little bit, after all this learning, and you know, it sounded like you guys had to do it the hard way. You know, you had to learn on your own. What's your favorite bait now? What's your go-to that you, you know, if, if fishing's a little tough, you you'll grab that out of the box and use it. Oh, undoubtedly, it's a, a Cinco type uh, plastic worm, just a do-nothing worm that you can. Uh, uh, I usually rig it uh, uh, Texas rigged. Um, I, I will usually have two rods uh, with a, with a Texas rigged one, uh, maybe a four inch with a little bit more weight uh, if I'm having to deal with some current, and another one, uh, three inch that um, that's weightless or with a very small weight on it that uh, I can fish in shallower water. Uh, that's that's what I usually uh, is going to be the first thing I try. Uh, I know that um, a lot of fishermen uh, are more uh, methodical than I am. They will uh, be rigged up with uh, like a crankbait, a diver, uh, of a uh, so they can fish deeper water. They can fish shallow water. They might have a spinner bait ready to go, um, and then maybe some plastics, like I just mentioned. Uh, and that's the best approach, really. When I am involved in a tournament, I, I really try to have all those tools ready to go because I don't really know where uh, the captain's going to take us. You know, I, I kind of, uh, fishing with, uh, mostly this would be with Bob Judkins, um, kind of know his strategies, but uh, to, to have maybe three or four rods ready to go uh, for the different conditions. But, but my favorite, if I had to just grab one thing, it would be the, a Senko-type plastic worm. Talking about Bob Judkins just a little bit, if you uh, are enjoying this podcast, please go back and look in my archives. I have an interview with Bob early on in, the, uh, in last year. And uh, I believe that as I did the rewind for 2020, uh, Bob Judkins actually won Fisherman of the Year for the club that uh, that he tournaments fish for. So both Bob and Bill, really, really good fishermen. Now, we've talked about a couple of things here, Bill, making great memories, and you've got some great memories of, of fishing early. But you've also learned how to fish, and one of the things that uh, I want to bring along in this podcast is, you know, so that people that are either newer to fishing or maybe they already fish, but maybe they want to expand their their knowledge base a little bit, is looking at joining a club. And so uh, Oregon Bass and Panfish Club really touts itself as a training club. So tell us a little bit about why you joined Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. Well, um, years ago I was at one of the shows and um, – there was a speaker, guest speaker, putting on a seminar. His name's Bud Hartman, uh, longtime member of Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. And I believe he was talking about walleyes. And this was, like I say, just about the time uh, I was getting, uh, had a better boat. I was looking at that Columbia River, you know, um, and he really got me going and got me interested in the club. So I came to a couple meetings and, um, I decided that, that 
I wanted to join and be a part of this, and um, and that that was back in the late 80s, and the years went by. Uh, I was not real involved until about 10 years ago. I decided to step up and and uh, be a part of the board of directors and um, contest director, uh, Ways and Means, and now I'm the president, so uh, in my third year. Uh, the club has a lot to offer. Uh, you know, we, we can't have our meetings right now, uh, but we're trying our best to uh, stay in touch with the membership and provide everything we can. Uh, it, it's an excellent club for beginner fishermen and, and uh, more advanced also. Uh, there's, uh, we, we have members of, um, that I would consider experts on certain types of fishing techniques and, and targeting certain species. And we have other uh, folks like myself. I like to just, I, I like to fish for anything. Um, and I especially like to fish uh, like the Multnomah Channel uh, where there's all of these different species and a dozen different species in there or more, or more. And sometimes if you're fishing with a jig in some structure, you, there's uh, you, you know, 10 different species that you might catch. And uh, that, I, I really enjoy that aspect. And, that, and that's, the, uh, that's the real key is that you know, once the club is able to start having meetings again, um, people can... Uh, come to a meeting or two. So what I heard you saying there is you don't even have to be a member to come to the meeting, right? No, our meetings are open to the public. Uh, what I would suggest for folks to do, now I know that the uh, Oregon Bass Panfish Club has a website, and it is OregonBassAndPanfishClub.com. Uh, I would suggest that people check that website it stays updated so that when we, when they are able to start having meetings again, they will have that on the website. In the meantime, if folks wanted to join the the club, what's the club doing right now to stay in touch with the members who are uh, who are on the membership roster? Well, we have a uh, monthly bulletin that goes out that talks about. Um, what, what, well, right now it's talking about what we would usually be doing this time of year. Um, and we put out a calendar of events, um, even with the COVID and all the, the pandemic protocol and safety measures in place. Uh, we, we went ahead and put out a calendar this year, and, um, and we have uh, something going on almost every month as far as an outside activity. So um, we, we, have, we have that, that uh, so people can make plans. We also uh, we have a, uh, a podcast that I do every month that where I would um, – I'm talking about the, t- the things that, we, um, that I would normally cover at the beginning of our meeting when we're meeting in person. So that would be uh, fishing reports, uh, recreation reports, um, club announcements and a little club business. Um, we don't have a lot going on right now, but uh, and, and maybe some uh, uh, expand on some of the fishing reports. So the members uh, they they kind of know what's going on out there, and um, you know the uh, some uh, fishing advice from 
some of our more active members that that do get out and fish um, during conditions that maybe most people wouldn't go. So the members know what's going on. They've got, uh, and most of them know personally, these people making the reports. Um, so then we usually have our, uh, our program director will uh, usually have a, uh, a guest speaker at our meetings uh, for our main program. But uh, since we're not doing that now, we have uh, usually every month a link to uh, another podcast where we, we do feature a guest speaker. Uh, sometimes that's a club member that's been out. Um, other times it might be like a local guide or maybe someone from ODFW. But it's always uh, fishing-related and uh, usually targeting the species that we promote. We, we have an annual uh, fishing contest. Uh, the prize, first, second place, is pretty much just bragging rights because uh, we are a nonprofit and we don't um, give out any, any prizes to speak of, a certificate and, a, and maybe a pin. Um, we, we have our, uh, as you mentioned, our club website and Facebook that we keep updated with uh, what we are doing. We have a, uh, an annual dry clinic where uh, our members and or guests will set up tables around the perimeter of the meeting room and uh, talk about their specialty, uh, expert advice, tips and techniques, uh, everything from bank fishing to walleye and uh, smallmouth, largemouth bass, panfish, uh, wh whatever our contest or our excuse me our program director uh, decides we're going to have. Uh, it's a great meeting. We usually have that one right after the sportsman show, so we can promote that meeting at the sportsman show. And we over the years have gotten a lot of new members that um, they'll learn about our club and come to the dry clinic and decide it's, uh, it's a good um, investment in their time and money to, uh, to be a member. So we're all about sharing information. Um, and I've learned most of my uh, warm water techniques uh, from uh, being a member. So and I enjoy, I enjoy giving advice. Uh, well, I think that's so important is that this is a this is a club that's not only a social club, fishing club, but they'll they'll help you. They'll they'll take you to spots. They'll show you how. Now, I just wanted to go back a bit because you just skimmed over this a little bit uh, more than than I wanted to, and that's on this calendar. Now, on your calendar, uh, tell me a little bit about what the calendar's for. Uh, are they fishing events? Are they camping events? What kind of events do you do you uh, put on the calendar? Well, we usually um, like to have something for every month other than uh, the winter months. We usually don't have much. We, we do have, uh, on New Year's Day, we have an event where we meet out at Hague Lake. We've done this for five or six years. And it's just, uh, um, just to kind of get out there and break the ice, uh, uh, see who shows up. Um, we, when we've, had, uh, we've had some good weather most of the years. Uh, then we don't have much until March. That's when we really start planning our outings every month. 
And then we do have some uh, campouts. Um, March, we, we might uh, go up the gorge. Uh, we have uh, gone and done some surf perch fishing um, at the coast. As we get into the spring, our events on the calendar will, would be day trips, uh, maybe uh, to the upper Willamette. Um, usually we're, we're looking at, okay, what's, what's best this month? Um, so then in May and June, of course, uh, uh, bass fishing. Uh, as we get into the summer, uh, we start doing more walleye fishing. Uh, our campouts would uh, in the past have been Prineville Reservoir, which is where we are going in May this year. Then we're, we have the summer camp out down at the coast in the Florence area. Uh, and then we have um, our fall camp out where we'll be going up the gorge to Boardman. It's one of our favorite trips, the beautiful park up there, the Boardman Marina Park. And the, on that trip, uh, if, if the water's smooth, you can get out there and walleye fish. And uh, the, the yellow perch fishery is excellent. If it's a little rough, you can just stay in the lagoon and, and fish, and we've done very good there. Caught some really nice fish. Uh, then to fill in between those campouts, like I say, we have day trips uh, where we'll visit our, our local waters. Hague Lake's one of our favorites. And uh, then we have some other events in there too, uh, some volunteer opportunities. We, we help out the Cast for Kids Foundation in the fall. And we usually have an event where we take uh, uh, veterans fishing for a day. So, uh, and, and other uh, volunteer opportunities pop up that we might announce just to the members if they uh, might not be club sanctioned. But uh, we we make that information available. So because we have we have folks that really enjoy getting out there and helping, and we truly appreciate our veterans. So. Uh, and, and we have many veterans in our club. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, uh, we have a wide variety of folks uh, that, that are in the club. Now, people have been listening to the podcast. Hopefully they've made it all the way to this point. And, Bill, talk a little bit about um, joining and uh, what's it cost and how can people contact the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club? Well, the, uh, the best way would be uh, you could uh, contact us through our website, um, or you could just, uh, since we're not having a meeting, you could go, well, go on our website, and there's club membership information about how this, this could be your club. There's a membership form you can print out and uh, um, send in, and uh, we, we do have a... Uh, on our board of directors, we have a director at large who uh, his job right now is to contact new members, and he, I believe he has a questionnaire that he sends out to kind of get an idea of what level uh, you're at and what you what you might expect to learn. And uh, in the past, he's been able to pair up uh, the new members with uh, folks like myself who. Um, we can get together uh, when we have one of our events, and uh, they can uh, become involved. Uh, well, that, we we do 
we are looking forward to having our monthly meetings again, and that's, that's really the backbone of our club is our monthly meetings in person. Well, absolutely. I think the, uh, the, the social contact, I think, no matter what form that takes, uh, I think people are really going to look forward to that. But if folks want to join, uh, and that's why I'm doing these now, it's, we're early, early in the year, uh, they can get involved, they can get the calendar, they can start getting the updates, and start joining the club on some of their activities. So as you look forward in, in, into 2021, do you see that the club will be able to hold most of the events that they've put on the calendar? I do. Um, even with the, uh, the pandemic restrictions uh, and safety protocol, uh, you know, we, we're outside. We're out in the fresh air. We can easily distance. Um, you can decide who you want in your boat, you know. Uh, chances are it's you, someone that you probably have been associating with all along. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been on all-day trips up the gorge where I had my mask on all day. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not bothered by wearing a mask. And, uh, but, you know, you get out on the water, and if, if you're in one end, you have an 18-foot boat, and you're, you're fishing the back of the boat, and your buddy's fishing the front, you know, you're, you're going to be 12 feet apart. So uh, if that is an issue... But, no, I do see us being able to, to have most of our outdoor activities um, without a problem. So uh, we've, we did have some last year. Uh, they weren't official club-sanctioned events, but we just uh, we had stuff on the calendar, and we just announced, well, some of us are going to go ahead and go. And um, if, you, if, you, if you feel safe, if you're comfortable doing this, um, then – you know, uh, please join us. Well, Bill, that that is great information, and I and I hope to see folks out on the water this year. Uh, you referenced the January first um, event. There were actually folks that uh, listened to the podcast that were out there. Uh, I was out there. The weather this year happened to be good. One of the few years where um, uh, it was sunny and and warm enough that we weren't uh, we weren't too cold. So um, I look forward to, uh, to seeing you out on the water. And, Bill, thank you for stopping by Talking Bass and PDX. Well, sure. Thank you, Don. Okay. And for questions, um, information that you need, I will have the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club website in my show notes. Now, of course, if you have questions or comments or you'd like to contact me directly, my email is gonefishing pdx at gmail.com. I'll have that down in the show notes also. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me on Talking Bass in PDX. And until next time, I'll see you on the Batcast. This has been Don Clark.